This is VOA News. Reporting via remote, I'm Jeff Custer. Ukrainian officials say a Russian airstrike in the capital's downtown area has killed one person and wounded six. AP correspondent Charles Diladesma reports. The Ukrainian emergency services say the airstrike took place near a checkpoint and caused extensive damage to a residential neighborhood. Meanwhile, a presidential advisor says talks with Russia have concluded for the day but will resume again on Tuesday. And the EU's foreign policy chief says the 27-country bloc is finalizing its new round of sanctions against Russia for what it calls the country's barbaric invasion of Ukraine. I'm Charles Diladesma. Earlier Monday, Ukrainian authorities reported Russian shelling of an aircraft factory near Kyiv killed two people and injured seven. The Antonov Aircraft Factory is Ukraine's largest and is best known for producing many of the world's largest cargo planes. As the Russian war in Ukraine intensifies, U.S. congressional leaders have announced Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky will deliver a virtual address to the U.S. Congress on Wednesday. In a joint statement Monday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says Zelensky will speak Wednesday to members of the House and Senate via video conference at the U.S. Capitol. The leaders invited members of the House and the Senate to take part. The statement from the two leaders said they look forward to the privilege of welcoming President Zelensky's address to the House and Senate and to convey their support to the people of Ukraine as they bravely defend democracy. This is VOA News. Officials in Mozambique said Monday powerful cyclone Gambi, which struck over the weekend, killed 15 people and left large areas of the northern and central parts of the country flooded. Officials said most of the fatalities occurred when the cyclone first hit Mozambique's northern coast last Friday, and its strongest winds and rains caused many houses to collapse. Some coastal districts in Nampula province remained isolated Monday without power, water, or communication. Malawi's Department of Disaster Management Affairs spokesman, Dipuluro Kamula, says reports show the cyclone caused heavy damage in about 10 districts, mostly in the south of the country. For instance, the Machinga District Council reports that a 78-year-old man has died after being hit by a collapsing wall uh, that is in Paramount Kawinga's area. The very same council also reports that a 49-year-old woman, her 32-year-old daughter and her two-year-old grandson have all been washed away when they were trying to cross uh, Namandanje River in Tia Rwanda. Officials say the storm forced more than 100,000 people from their homes. About 12,000 houses were completely destroyed, while 11,000 were seriously damaged by the storm. On Tuesday, U.S. astronaut Mark Vandehei will break the U.S. single spaceflight record of 340 days in space aboard the International Space Station. By the time he is currently scheduled to leave, March 30th, he will have extended the U.S. record to 355 days in space. The hardest part of his achievement, however, may be getting a ride home. So far, Vandahai is scheduled to leave with two Russians aboard a Soyuz capsule for a touchdown in Kazakhstan. And officials with the U.S. Space Agency, NASA, insist those plans remain unchanged. 
but Russia's invasion of Ukraine has resulted in canceled launches, broken contracts, and an escalating war of words by the Russian space agency's hardline leader. Many worry that Dmitry Rogozin is putting decades of a peaceful off-planet partnership at risk, most notably at the International Space Station. German prosecutors said Monday they have charged now-defunct financial services provider Wirecard's former chief executive Marcus Braun and two other high-ranking managers for the colossal commercial fraud that led to the collapse of the company. Prosecutors say three men are the three men are accused of market manipulation, embezzlement, and gang fraud on a commercial scale, noting that the indictment itself runs 474 pages. The German financial tech company, once celebrated as a shining star of innovative startups, crashed in June of 2020 after admitting that a missing $2.1 billion in its balance sheets likely didn't exist. The time it took prosecutors to file formal charges underlined the intricate and complex web of fraudulent transactions that investigators traveled across the world to unravel. Reporting via remote, I'm Jeff Cunningham. Monday, March 14th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedwafo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Ukraine's leader says open for talks with President Vladimir Putin as fighting rages close to the capital, Kiev. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says he's told Israel's Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, who met with Russian President Vladimir Putin in recent days, that he would be ready to meet Putin in Jerusalem. Greece's Prime Minister is in Turkey for talks amid rising tensions between the neighboring countries. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan escalated tensions further by questioning the sovereignty of Greek islands in the shared Aegean Sea. And Iran claims responsibility for a missile barrage that struck near U.S. consulate complex in the northern Iraqi city of Erbil. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. U.S. officials say Russia's lethal shelling in the western part of Ukraine close to the border with Poland is something they had anticipated. Ukrainian officials say Russia's attack on a military base near the Polish border killed 35 people and wounded 134 others. VOA's chief national correspondent Steve Herman has more on the U.S. reaction. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, appearing Sunday on CNN's State of the Union program, said American intelligence and national security officials were not surprised by the Russian attack near Lviv, where NATO has previously trained with Ukrainian troops. What it shows is that Vladimir Putin is frustrated by the fact that his forces are not making the kind of progress that he thought that they would make against major cities, including Kyiv. Sullivan, also appearing on CBS's Face the Nation program, said if Russia fires upon or even takes a shot at NATO territory, the military alliance will respond to that. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. U.S. troops have deployed in the forested mountains of eastern Poland, just a few kilometers from the Ukrainian border. This puts them in close proximity to recent Russian airstrikes or targets in western Ukraine and could make them a target if NATO were to become involved in the war. Henry Ridgewell reports from Alamov in Poland. The contingent is part of a wider deployment of 5,000 U.S. troops sent to Poland in recent weeks. That's in addition to the 4,000 American soldiers already in the country. NATO is sending a message that they will defend every inch of alliance territory. The Ukrainian border is just a few hundred meters down this track. 
And as thousands of American troops conduct exercises in these Polish forests, Russia has been conducting airstrikes on Ukrainian targets just over the frontier. There are growing fears of an accidental engagement between the US and Russia. A hotline has been set up to avoid that scenario. But there are also fears that NATO troops in Eastern Europe could be targeted in the event of escalation. Russia's President Vladimir Putin last month raised the alert level of his nuclear forces in response to what he described as NATO's aggressive statements. Konstanz Stelzenmuller is from the Brookings Institution in Washington. NATO still is saying that it will not intervene on Ukrainian territory, but increasingly Western weapons are flowing into Ukraine through NATO member states. And it is possible that Putin will, or in fact already sees, such military support, which it has to be said on our side is not particularly controlled or accompanied by careful messaging, as NATO joining, joining the fight. In other words, the discussion to some degree is now about whether Putin would be willing to use tactical nuclear weapons against NATO forces on NATO territory. That would be a new world. The alliance must not let Putin get away with nuclear blackmail, says Fabrice Potier, a former head of policy planning at NATO, now of the International Institute for Strategic Studies. What will stop Putin from doing the same next time, possibly including against a NATO ally? NATO has repeatedly said it will not get directly involved in the conflict. Potier says the alliance should do more. Are we fully aware of the danger of not doing anything? If I look at that recent history, actually uh, at the risk of standing on the sideline and clamoring that we are covering the NATO allies back, but our mission stops at the NATO border, that I think risk is, is no longer acceptable. Ukraine's border with Poland has become the major gateway for refugees fleeing the conflict. But it is also becoming a key strategic frontier, a conduit for NATO weapons heading into Ukraine and a potential future flashpoint. For decades, Ukraine has acted as a buffer zone between Russia and NATO. But if the Kremlin's forces seize all of Ukraine, there is little to separate NATO troops and Russian soldiers. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News, Arlamov on the Poland-Ukraine border. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says he's open for talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin, but he's not optimistic that would happen anytime soon. This as fierce fighting rages close to the capital Kyiv, with Russian troops reportedly massed 25 kilometers away. Associated Press correspondent Ben Thomas reports. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says he's told Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who met with Russian President Vladimir Putin in recent days, that he would be ready to meet Putin in Jerusalem, but only with a ceasefire in place. The leaders of France and Germany spoke with Putin for more than an hour Saturday, pressing for just that. And the Kremlin says Putin laid out terms, which include Ukraine ceding territory and demilitarizing. French President Emmanuel Macron's office described the call as very frank and also difficult, adding the Russian leader offered no indication that he intends to stop the fighting. At a news conference Saturday, Zelensky said the Russians could take the Ukrainian capital only if they kill us all, adding, if that's their goal, let them come. I'm Ben Thomas. 
The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, has launched a huge relief operation to aid and protect millions of Ukrainians displaced by the Russian invasion, both inside Ukraine and as refugees in neighboring countries. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Latest UN estimates find at least 2 million people are displaced inside Ukraine and more than 2.5 million refugees are sheltering in neighboring countries. The figures keep moving upwards in the fast-paced displacement crisis in line with the escalating Ukrainian war. Speaking from Zyrsho, Poland, UNHCR spokesman Matthew Saltmar says his agency is scaling up operations to keep pace with needs. He says access to conflict-affected communities in hard-hit areas such as Mariupol and Kharkiv is severely restricted. Despite the dangers, he says UNHCR staff is committed to staying and delivering assistance when and where access and security allow. Our office there has scaled up its presence and operations in central and western Ukraine, where conditions enable more humanitarian access and where needs are also growing as people evacuate to the west and onwards and become internally displaced. Saltmarsh notes more than 12.5 million people are directly affected by the conflict in Ukraine, many of whom are likely to be on the move in coming days. He says the UNHCR is coordinating with local authorities to improve the reception conditions at international border crossing points. He says people are waiting in line for many hours in freezing conditions. Inside Ukraine, he says the UNHCR is pre-positioning its supply stocks, has opened warehouses in several locations, and is distributing core relief items to the internally displaced. Now we're working with the authorities and partners to establish and expand reception capacity for IDPs in a number of cities and towns in the area and provide key protection services. Many shops in Ukraine now require cash payments so providing cash support is absolutely critical. He says the UNHCR is ramping up its cash assistance program for IDPs and emergency cash programs also are being rolled out in neighboring countries where Ukrainians are going to seek asylum. At the start of this crisis, the UNHCR had been planning to assist an estimated 4 million refugees. However, Saltmar says that figure might have to be revised upward as many more refugees are likely to flee as the war intensifies. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Russia's war in Ukraine has had massive implications in the Horn and Eastern Africa. Humanitarian groups are struggling to have hundreds of thousands of Africans who were already facing food insecurity and are now dealing with a massive deficit in food supplies. Haji Malim is the regional director of the Horn and Eastern Africa for Action Against Hunger. He tells VOA Carol Van Dam that 84% of the wheat consumed in Eastern Africa comes from imports and 90% of that amount comes from Russia and Ukraine. The wheat demand in these countries actually varies from one country to the other. Some countries like Eritrea 100% rely on wheat uh, produced in that part of the world. Therefore, the inability to be able to provide these products to this region is going to have massive implication on the ability for the household to have access uh, to food down the line. And this situation is even made worse by the currently biting severe drought in the Horn of Africa where we have already seen in many households where we did our own assessment, actually against Angus' own assessment, we found crop production, cereal harvest below 
90% what was initial, what was projected to be harvested this season. Many of the crops have failed. And as a result of that, significant demand on imports to meet the household food, food needs. What we are seeing already, the compounding effect of the drought, the conflict in this region, and the disruption in supply having massive implication on the nutritional situation of children under five. So You're saying it's kind of like a one, two, and three punch with not only the drought in the area of Eastern Africa and the Horn, it's the conflict that is happening in, in parts of the continent there, and also the war in Ukraine from Russia. That is correct. I think these this communities, vulnerable communities, are facing multiple shocks, one after the other, sometimes multiple heat at the same time. And these are vulnerable people that are dependent on casual labor, barely making a living on, on the base of these. And we have seen in, in some areas where we did our assessment, we find more than 26% of the households in those areas even have no income and therefore dependent on, on food aid. And because of this disruption, we are already seeing significant increase. In Mogadishu, our own assessment clearly shows that the prices of wheat have increased by 50% in the last few months. Similarly, other stable food are also increasing, prices of stable food are also increasing. Therefore, this is having massive implication on these, uh, on these communities. You obviously help people who are the most vulnerable, who can't buy food on their own. But then the people that were going to the market and buying staples for their families, they can't even afford anything anymore, you're saying? That is correct. Somalia, for instance, have recorded more than 600,000 people have moved uh, because of this increasing vulnerability compounded by food price increase and, and, and the biting drought as well. Africa had done a good deal of exporting to Russia and Ukraine, too, before the war. What kinds of exports are we talking about, and how have African farmers and traders been affected since February 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine? Kenya, for instance, exports tea, flowers, coffee, fruits to Russia at an estimated value of about $87.5 million annually. And because of the suspension to container shipping lines, this has been disrupted. And... This export is essential uh, for the survival. That's Hajir Malim, Action Against Hunger's Regional Director of the Horn and Eastern Africa. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam from Nairobi, Kenya. The United States has banned Russian energy imports and warned Saudi Arabia to increase oil production to mitigate a dramatic spike in gas prices. But just how willing Gulf states are to help bring oil prices down remains to be seen. VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sen reports. Fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to rattle global energy markets, punishing motorists and others who rely on fossil fuels. Days after U.S. President Joe Biden banned Russian oil, gas and coal imports. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson will also ban Russian oil from the U.K. by the end of 2022. The European Union relies on Russia for about 40% of its natural gas and about 25% of the oil it consumes. The 27 EU leaders agreed to cautiously phase out their dependency on Russian energy. Russian President Vladimir Putin blamed the U.S. and Europe for skyrocketing oil and gas prices and said they are now desperate to reach out to major oil-producing countries they had previously sanctioned. 
They are already trying at all costs to come to an agreement with the countries against which they themselves have imposed illegitimate restrictions. And they are ready to make peace with Iran and immediately sign all the documents and with Venezuela. With prices at the gas pump surging, reports say President Biden reached out to Saudi Arabia. But Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has not taken his call. Biden did speak with Saudi King Salman on February the 9th. Relations between the United States and the Crown Prince have been strained since the brutal murder and dismemberment of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi in a Saudi consulate in 2018. Biden has pledged to make the Crown Prince a pariah. But Secretary of State Antony Blinken downplayed any Saudi snub of Biden and said there is encouraging news on oil production from the United Arab Emirates. It's just an announcement uh, a short while ago. Is, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, been made publicly yet about um, uh, Emirati support for uh, increased production when it comes to, uh, to OPEC+, Plus, uh, which I think is a, an important thing to stabilize uh, global energy markets to make sure that uh, there remains an abundant supply of energy around the world. Experts tell VOA there are tensions between Biden and the Saudi crown prince. But Biden administration officials have been holding talks behind the scenes in Riyadh. Brian Katulis is vice president for policy with the Middle East Institute. I think the main concern is that at a time when gas prices are so high and we're looking to get some cooperation from other countries, including close partners that get uh, and benefit from our security cooperation and assistance, that we would hope that they would do more um, to help the United States. Katulis said there is a risk for Saudi Arabia if it refuses to help bring gas prices down. Cindy Sane, VOA News. In other news, Iran has claimed responsibility for a missile barrage that struck a sprawling U.S. consulate complex in the northern Iraqi city of Erbil. Tehran says it was in retaliation for an Israeli strike in Syria that killed two members of its revolutionary guard. Iraq's foreign ministry on Sunday summoned Iran's ambassador to protest the attack, calling it a flagrant violation of the country's sovereignty. No injuries were reported in the Sunday attack, which marked a significant escalation between the U.S. and Iran. Hostility between the longtime foes has often played out in Iraq, whose government is allied with both countries. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at vonews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedo Afo in Washington. Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis held talks in Turkey with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan amid rising tensions between the neighboring countries. As Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul, the escalating tensions have already claimed victims. The freezing of 19 migrants on the Turkish side of the Greek border in February sparked a vicious war of words between Athens and Ankara, each seeking to blame the other for the tragedy. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan escalated tensions further by questioning the sovereignty of Greek islands in the shared Aegean Sea. So Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis' visit to Ankara Sunday is taking place as concerns grow in Athens over Turkish intentions. 
Cengiz Aktar is a political science professor at Athens University. Turkey is exactly like Russia. I mean, there, are, there are no checks, no balances, no opposition, because the opposition is even more, uh, you know, royalist than the king. And they are very, very radical when it comes to, to Greece and Cyprus. But Ankara is alarmed over the rapid rearmament program by Greece. Athens has acquired sophisticated fighter jets and warships, creating fears in Turkey that the balance of power could tip in favor of Greece. Turkish and Greek warplanes frequently engage in mock dogfights over contested airspace. Deepening military cooperation between Athens and the United States and eastern Mediterranean countries is also a major concern for Turkey. According to Erdogan advisor Mesut Çarşın. Charshan said Greece's excessive armament and maximalist desires of expanding into Turkish territory, combined with Cyprus, threaten Turkey, both in the Mediterranean and in the Aegean. Their jets can hit Turkey's Aegean lands in six minutes, and their modern rockets threaten Turkey's defenses. Some analysts warn Russia's invasion of Ukraine is setting a dangerous example for the region. Dorian Jones of VOA News, Istanbul. U.S. officials said North Korea's latest two missile launches were tests of a new intercontinental ballistic missile system, describing the move as, quote, serious escalation, unquote. But bigger tests may soon be underway, as VOA's Bill Gallo reports from Seoul.